think that there just needs to be more awareness and more education about these conditions that affect women so that we can be able to have this information to plan more proactively and make the decisions that we want to make about our reproductive health and fertility. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to episode 115 of That's So Maven. Before we jump into the topic of today's episode, I do want to thank our sponsor, who is Imperfect Produce. I've talked about Imperfect Produce a million times, and that's because I am obsessed with them. It is my weekly CSA box that I get that is full of imperfect fruits and veggies, and now they also have things like grains and coffee and olive oil and staples for your kitchen, all that are helping to reduce food waste. So if you want to learn more about Imperfect Produce, I will include a link in the show notes and also make sure that you use the code HEALTHYMAVEN at checkout to save 50% off your first box. And I know they're in tons of cities across the U.S. and are working on coming up in more cities. So stay tuned for that. And I hope you all get to try Imperfect Produce for yourself. So I am recording this in a hotel room outside of Austin. I am currently here on a birthday trip that I treated myself to. It's actually my birthday today. So when you hear this, it'll be yesterday. And I'm just here to give myself some time to reflect on this past decade and what I've learned and how I've changed and grown and what of all of those experiences I want to continue to carry with me into this next decade and what I'm ready to leave behind. I'm someone who can spend a lot of time planning for the future and trying to, you know, plan for things that I can't necessarily control. And I don't spend a ton of time looking backwards at the things that I've learned, at the experiences I've collected and deciding what I want to keep as part of my life and what no longer serves me. And it's a practice that I'm trying to bring more of into my life and so far so good. And this trip has been so amazing so far. I'm here for the week and I've only been here a couple of days and it's just been so relaxing and such a great opportunity to clear out a lot of the noise and just come back to my core and my truth and what's important to me and it's been pretty amazing. And I'm not going to lie, the experience has been bougier than I typically indulge myself into, but it's been so nice to not have to cook for myself and to just have really nice amenities here and not have to think about any of this. It's kind of funny because Kurt is at Burning Man right now, which if you know anything about Burning Man, it's kind of the opposite of this experience, but we're both going in with similar intentions. So it's just funny how different environments can bring out different things for people. And yes, I'm spending my 30th birthday by myself and I am loving every minute of it. This introvert loves to be alone. So it's actually really nice. And also, you know, the the connections that I'm making, the people that I'm meeting are very intentional, but there's also a level of respect that everybody is here kind of on their own journey and on their own path. And sometimes you just need some space for yourself. And so, so far, so good. I'm going to chat a little bit more about, you know, some thoughts that have come up for my 30th birthday after the episode, but I thought today's episode would be perfect given that it is my birthday week because we're talking about something that... I'm deeply passionate about, which is women's fertility and women's reproductive health. And as someone who officially just turned 30, you know, people have a lot of questions about when we want to have kids, if we want to have kids. And, you know, all of those conversations are really important. But at the same time, there is kind of this unknown factor, which is, 
can I have kids? And I think many of us don't think about it until we get to that point in our lives where we decide that that's something that maybe we do want and you just don't know where things are at with your body until you try. Well, that's what I thought. And I had an opportunity to chat with Afton Vetchery from Modern Fertility. And we're chatting all about getting to know your body, your fertility, understanding where your hormones are at and how to best prepare for having a baby before you actually want to have a baby. And, you know, feeling empowered to make those decisions now. And of course, it isn't all in your control and you have to let go of some of that. But if something is up with your body, it's nice to know what's going on. And beyond just fertility and having a baby, like understanding your hormones, understanding some of the stuff that comes up, including PCOS, POI, the difference between the two, we get into a lot of things today. And so let's just jump into today's episode and stay tuned for the end for just some thoughts from me as well as some things coming up on the show and what to look out for. All right. Here's Afton. Hi, Afton. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to chat with you today. I think this is such an important conversation, and I feel like it's a conversation that many women don't jump into until they decide they want to get pregnant or, you know, they want to know what's happening with their bodies or they've, you know, come to that point in their life where they want to talk about children. But I think it's a conversation that we need to be having much sooner than that. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey and how you came to found Modern Fertility. Well, I love that we're starting with that. And I think that that basically sums up the reason of why we started this company is that we felt like the entire conversation around fertility was very reactive as opposed to proactive. And so we started the company to really help women have more information about their own bodies so that they could have that information and and make the decisions that were right for them. So yeah, my introduction to the infertility space was actually back when I started my career in healthcare private equity. And so my job at the time was to identify sectors of healthcare that were interesting, growing, had some consolidation potential. And I started doing a lot of work um, because of my personal interest in in women's health. And as part of that, I uh, was leading the diligence for a roll-up of IVF clinics and labs. So like combining all of their back office services. And it was through that process where I had to go to these infertility clinics, you know, when I was 22 years old and start to talk to doctors, start to talk to women about fertility. And what was just so amazing to me, um, and I, I just didn't realize this, but so many women hadn't been told that fertility declined with age or that IVF wouldn't work for every single person. And and that experience just really stuck with me. And so years later, um, I was working at at 23andMe and realized that I was waiting until later in life to start my own family. And I tried to get this baseline testing done that I had learned about back in private equity so that I could have more information about my own body. Uh, But it was really hard to get my OBGYN said no. I had to go into an infertility clinic to actually request the tests. But when I finally got that testing done, It was just so amazing to have that information about my own body. And I was pretty open about the experience. And that was really the birth of of modern fertility. Uh, My friends, friends of friends, hundreds of women were just wanted to talk about fertility and wanted more information so that they could start to think through uh, this point of their lives. So when you talk about this information, what do you mean by that? Like, what kind of information are you getting, you know, from the tests that you did when you were seeking to know a little bit more about your fertility? 
Yeah. So one of the most impactful things that I learned through this testing for me personally was I I went through all of the testing I had had, you know, in a regular period for most of my life. I didn't really think much about it, but I got a, a PCOS diagnosis. So polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, it affects one in 10 women. The hormone testing alone does not diagnose PCOS, but many doctors use hormones like anti-malarian hormone and testosterone as a part of that diagnosis to create a more full picture. And so it was that conversation with a doctor uh, where they helped me understand that PCOS is one of the leading causes of infertility because it affects ovulation. Uh, It's really hard to time intercourse and to get pregnant. And I just, I couldn't believe that I would have started to try to get pregnant and could have tried for years. Uh, But there were easy ways and solutions within the medical system to have that information and and plan around it. And so for me, that was just an aha moment. But I think, you know, what was even more powerful than, than that diagnosis was just taking a step back to think about what fertility meant to me. You know, I, I'm very focused on my career at the moment, but I know I am confident that I want kids in the future. And I just really hadn't taken a step back to think through my own timeline and what that meant for me. And if there were any other factors about my biology, my family history, my own career timeline, like how do I take all of that information and pull it together? And so I think that just, you know, having that conversation earlier for me, going through this process and thinking about it was just so empowering. Totally. And I think many of us take for granted our own fertility and and maybe have plans in the future to have kids. And then you get there and you discover, you know, there are certain barriers that are making that difficult. And that doesn't mean that those barriers aren't still there if you get that information sooner, but at least you can do some preparation around that. You know, you can understand your body a little bit better. You can make certain changes to your lifestyle and then the process will be a little bit easier in the future. And having that preparation is so key. So I'm curious, when someone does a modern fertility test, what kind of information are they getting? Is it specifically around their hormone levels? You know, I haven't done the test yet, though I really want to take one. What kind of information would I be getting if I took the test? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, to your point right before that, I think you're right. Today, you know, one in six couples have trouble getting pregnant. And there's a lot that needs to change in our education system. There's a lot that needs to change in our healthcare system. But the thing that we can do today, the thing that we can take action on today is information. And so, you know, your fertility hormones are, are one part of the equation. So for example, if your fertility hormones are great, but both of your fallopian tubes are blocked, uh, it's going to be really hard to have a baby naturally. But the education of, hey, hey, here are all of the parts that play a role, that's what's really powerful. And that's really where modern fertility is centered. So for example, uh, we help women understand success in IVF or egg freezing. We help women understand red flags and more information about conditions like PCOS and POI, premature ovarian insufficiency. We help women understand more about their fertile window uh, and menopause onset. The average age of menopause onset for American women is 51. You can start to go through the menopausal transition about 10 years before that. So at 40, you can still get pregnant, but it's not, you know, every person. Uh, But let's say you're at risk for a slightly earlier onset of of menopause, then your fertile window has kind of moved up a few years. And maybe that's not impactful for kid number one, but could be impactful for kid number two or three. So how do we take all of this information and use information to understand more about our bodies to make the decisions that are right for us? And I think the thing that I, I love to think about for all of this is that, you know, having kids is part of the value of understanding this information, but it's also just understanding 
understanding more about your reproductive health and whether you want kids or not, like that's totally okay and, and up to you, but your reproductive health is such a core part of your general health and a, a lens into your general health. And so understanding your fertility hormone health is a, a really key part of that. Totally. So, you know, for example, if you take the test and you find that, you know, your hormone levels aren't necessarily within a window that is best for your body or, you know, could be adjusted in certain ways, what are some of the other factors that you might want to look for? I know you mentioned like a blocked fallopian tube. I'm just curious, you know, from all of your knowledge that you've gained from being in this sphere, what are some of the common things that women run into that maybe they didn't expect about their own bodies? Yeah. So there's things that fertility hormones can tell you. And then there's other things about your body that go into fertility. What's really interesting is that whether you smoke or not can actually suppress the amount of eggs that you have in your ovaries at one time, which is fascinating. Uh, And there are studies that show that women that stop smoking can actually see that level increase. So that's just one of the really interesting lifestyle interventions that that ties to fertility in this very, very, you know, concrete way. And if you go outside of a fertility hormone testing, there are things like learning that an exposure to um, the SDI chlamydia earlier in life can cause tubal scarring and cause issues with fertility later in life. And so, you know, if we, you know, talk to our doctor about that diagnosis, when we got it, we might not remember our doctor might not have told us that it could play a part in our fertility later. So really what we try to focus on is really being a a fertility education company with hormone testing being one part of that, that really just empowers us to, to start to think about it earlier so that we have that knowledge, we have that information and we can just think about fertility as a part of, of general wellness. Totally. So let's talk about you know, you get this information, whether it be about your hormones or, you know, you've learned something from modern fertility about something that may be going on with your body or lifestyle habits that maybe you've participated in for a long time and are now, you know, hoping to change. What are some of the recommended changes that you tend to give to women who are looking to improve their fertility? So that's a great question. And I think that right now we need more science. We need more neutral information. We need just what the data says about how lifestyle factors transfer over to fertility. So there's already, you know, bodies of of well-established research around smoking. Um, There is a body of research around uh, BMI and how being overweight or underweight contributes to fertility. There is research around endocrine disruptors. So uh, things like BPA, BPA in plastic water bottles and how that ties to fertility. So there are areas that we know some things about, but part of our goal of starting Modern Fertility was to help you understand where the science is today, but also push all of that research forward. So we have the ability for anybody that wants to learn about where their hormones are today to consent to allow their anonymous data to be used in furthering women's health research. So those are the exact types of studies that we are working on today so we can help women understand how these different lifestyle factors play a role in fertility. And so that's really where we sit in the the whole ecosystem and where we get questions from our customers every day. I think that there's a lot of misinformation out there on the internet about different things that play a role in fertility. And so what we do is we go into the literature, we go into the science, We talk to the leading reproductive endocrinologists, fertility doctors all across the U.S. We do all of the hard work and help you understand where the science is today. So you can use that to make the decisions that are right for you. 
That's awesome. So not only are you giving more information to women about their bodies, but you're also helping to collect more information that just benefits women as a whole. So that's really cool that you're kind of coming at it from two perspectives. Now, as someone who hasn't taken a test yet, can you describe to me, you know, how do you take a test and kind of what that process looks like? Yeah. So you come to our website, modernfertility.com, and you request a test. From there, you have the option of getting a test at home, or you can go to a local lab. If you test at home, it's super easy. You uh, follow the directions in that test and do a finger prick. You send that package. It comes with a addressed envelope out to our CLIA and CAP accredited laboratory. Those results are processed. And within a few days, you get access to your modern fertility experience. And the modern fertility experience includes customized age and result specific reports between typically one to eight hormones, depending on the type of birth control you're on. If any, uh, we customize that set of hormone results. You get access to a one-on-one consult with a fertility nurse. You get access to a weekly webinar that we call an Aganar, if you like listening to to podcasts instead of reading. (laughs) And then also access to our community. Uh, It's on Slack today. It's called Modern Women, the Matriarchy. And you can talk to other women about topics such as fertility, but also all of the things that fertility impacts, which is everything. (laughs) So talking about fertility in the the workplace, talking about other parts of women's health, um, women in in business, all of those things. And our our price point today is really important to us. Uh, When I got this testing done, I was billed $1,500 out of pocket for this laboratory testing that was on top of a few hundred uh, dollar consult with an infertility clinic. And our price today was really focused on instead of just making this testing accessible to women that were in an infertility clinic uh, having trouble, taking it out of the clinic, making it more proactive and passing all of those savings from economies of of scale onto our customers. And so our our price point today is $159. I mean, that's a steal, seriously, (laughs) to be able to get access to that information at that price point. Like I'm originally from Canada and we have free healthcare and infertility is actually covered. Whereas in the US, many people are paying out of pocket. And if you know that that's something that you're going to run into, that at least gives you some power to be able to save or look into other options that might be out there. Whereas, you know, there are people who want to start a family and then they get there, they discover they can't, they have to go through infertility treatments and they're paying out of pocket. And for some people that just isn't possible for them, you know, they don't have the money and no one should be denied the opportunity to have a family because they can't afford to get there. And it's just such a shame that that's kind of what's happening in this country. But then there's people like you who are making it so much more accessible. So I'm wondering, in your experience, because you've sent out so many tests now, and you've collected a lot of information, what are the most common things that tend to come up? Oh, gosh. Uh, So most common misconceptions. Um, Everyone can get pregnant whenever they want with IVF. I think that IVF is something that a lot of women are just, you know, putting off getting pregnant naturally because they're like, oh, well, when I'm when I'm older, I'll have enough money and, you know, maybe I can just pay for it to happen. And I think that that is something that, you know, education just really will help with. We have a tool on our website, which is around natural fertility. So getting pregnant without IVF. Uh, If you go to modernfertility.com slash timeline, you can start to understand what the odds of natural fertility are at different 
ages. I guess there's another misconception baked in there, which is fertility goes off a cliff at 35. It's actually a, a more steeper decline at 35, but it's not a, a cliff and it's different for, for everyone. And so age plays a huge role here, but it's really you know understanding what that data is. So we've really tried to take that data and put it in front of women. Uh, but with IVF, kind of back to my, my point number one, uh, if a woman uses her own eggs, the live birth rate per patient, it's 54% if you're under 35 and 46% if you're between 35 and 37 and 34% if you're between 38 and, and 40. And so that's some women, but it's not everyone. And so it's really important to take all of that into account. Egg freezing uh, is... Yeah, I wanted to ask about egg freezing. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So egg freezing, I think it's an amazing procedure, the fact that we can can do this, Um, but it's not an insurance policy. And I believe that it should not be marketed as an insurance policy. So there's a, a very long pathway between egg freezing, freezing your eggs, and having a successful pregnancy and then live birth. And so for every egg, there's a certain percentage chance that that frozen egg will turn into a a child. And so it's really important for women to understand that this is not an insurance policy. It might increase or change the odds of of getting pregnant at a a later date, but it's really important to be informed based on your age and, and how many eggs that you have frozen and the success rates of the clinic, how all of that comes together and and translates to your eventual goals. So my question about that is, so if you freeze your eggs, is it most common that a woman later in life would then have those eggs implanted and would carry the child themselves? Or are you looking at, you know, let's say you want to delay and you are at a point where maybe your body isn't able to carry a child. Are you then implanting it in a surrogate? I don't know a whole lot about the process. So I'd love to hear, you know, when women do freeze their eggs, what is the common process with that? There were some recent studies that showed that the majority of eggs that were frozen were not being used, but I think that there's still more time that needs to pass for us to really understand what that looks like. And so scientifically, when you freeze eggs, the way that usage works is you you thaw the eggs, uh, you implant them with a sperm of you know your, your partner or, or donor sperm. They then grow to a certain stage of as an embryo, and then you can implant them if they're your eggs back in and you, or you could implant a embryo and a, a surrogate. Those are, are pretty much the two options there. Surrogacy um, is an option. It is very expensive, and the state-by-state regulations around surrogacy make it something that really needs to be uh, researched heavily, but those are, are kind of some of the potential options. Yeah, it's just something that I hadn't personally considered, but I'm hearing more about. Interestingly, and I don't know if this is just a Bay Area thing, so maybe you can shed some light on this, but I've been hearing that companies are paying to cover the cost of women freezing their eggs because it delays, you know, them leaving on maternity leave, which is just so fascinating and interesting. And I don't know if it's a positive thing or not, but I've just been hearing more conversations around it. And in my mind, you know, the longer you wait, you're definitely going to run into more challenges in carrying the child, even if, you know, you've guaranteed that you have your eggs frozen. But again, it's one of those things where everybody is different. So I've just, I've had a lot of questions come up around that. Yeah, well, I am not the total science expert there, but what I can do is, is speak to some of the trends that we're seeing on the, the business side. You know, I, I will say that 
being in the Bay Area, we get to hear a lot about the trends that are, are happening and how companies are are looking at IVF and egg freezing. And I think it's it's fantastic that some of these companies offer women the ability to freeze their eggs. Uh, but I do think that it has been a, a point of controversy and and really thinking through you know why companies are are doing that. Personally, I I think it's pretty great to give women the option to have that as a, a part of, of something that they could choose. But I think it's a deeply personal decision to actually you know, decide to go through that process. And it's not just the money, it's um, the emotional and, and physical uh, elements of that procedure as well. But yeah, I, I think that this is just such a fascinating time in reproductive health. And it's just uh, amazing to see all of the advancements happen in, in these different areas. Absolutely. So let's have a conversation around PCOS and POI and kind of the difference between the two and in terms of hormones, you know, how would those levels look different? So PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, is a condition that affects one in 10 women and is one of the leading indicators of infertility. So what happens with PCOS is it causes a regular ovulation. And so the treatment for PCOS in a lot of cases is birth control. And so what happens when you go on birth control is that it masks a lot of the symptoms of PCOS. And so let's say that you're planning to have a child and you go off birth control. At that point, you might not um, have been diagnosed with PCOS. You might might not know how it's been influencing your body. And there's a lot that you can learn about your body while having that, that PCOS diagnosis. So for some women, it causes irregular ovulation. And for some women, they actually become anovulatory. And so being able to understand that process, to understand when you're ovulating and time intercourse in that way is really important. And so the way that hormones play a role into all of this is that uh, the Rotterdam criteria, it's basically a checklist. That's what's used to diagnose PCOS today. And if you have enough checks of the checklist, you get the diagnosis. Uh, but there's all of these different rare phenotypes and different ways to look at PCOS. So for a lot of the doctors that we work with, they like ordering a hormone called anti-malarian hormone. AMH and a hormone called testosterone alongside this checklist to help provide this overall view of PCOS. Uh, so part of the modern fertility experiences, we don't diagnose PCOS, but we talk about what it is. We talk about how hormones play a role so that you can have that you know, more informed conversation with your doctor. POI is kind of at the other end of the spectrum. So POI stands for premature ovarian insufficiency. And POI affects one in 100 women, which is kind of crazy because most people have not heard of POI. So one of the side effects of POI is having undetectable or very, very low AMH. And so AMH is secreted by the cells that surround the follicles and the ovaries. And so if you measure very little amount of AMH in the blood, often that's correlated with just not having a lot of, of aches in your ovaries at that time. And so women with POI, a portion of them can spontaneously ovulate. Uh, that is, is what doctors call it and, and still have a baby, but it makes it very difficult to do so as you get older and older. Uh, and also is linked with early menopause onset. And so when you think about your overall reproductive window, it could be a lot shorter. And so POI is, is something that I am personally very passionate about. I believe that there should be universal screening for POI so women can just understand where their body is. And then I, I think that there should also just be more education 
education about POI, the number of stories that I've heard about women that are not able to get a PCOS diagnosis and go from physician to physician because they're going through menopause in their 20s or early 30s. It's just, it's ridiculous. And I, I think that there just needs to be more awareness and more education about these conditions that affect women so that we can be able to have this information to plan more proactively and make the decisions that we want to make about our reproductive health and fertility. I couldn't agree more. And just having conversations like this here on the show is a great place to start. So I hope people listening, if this is your first time you're hearing about POI and this is something that you feel you've been affected by or someone in your life may be experiencing, please send this episode to them, send them to Modern Fertility so that they can get more information because it really is so important that we have as much information as possible to be able to make the right decisions for us. Yes, I love that. And I'm such a fan of how you spread all of this information. I think it's it's amazing. Thank you. So one quick thing that I wanted to touch on, I know you're passionate about women's fertility and female hormones. How about men? You know, how much should men be finding more information about their own fertility? And what are some of their options? Yeah, I think that that's a a great question and and something that we've been asked a lot about. And so male fertility is is 50% of the equation. And the the reason as a company we started with female fertility is because it's a lot harder. Uh, This type of proactive hormone testing had not been done in a comprehensive way that you could do at home. And we were the first company that really focused on doing all of that. We set up all of the research to move the space forward and and learn more. Uh, Male factor testing, testing sperm is just, it's a lot easier, uh, but it's still really important to understand that male fertility is 50% of the equation. And with male fertility, it's super interesting because we understand more about how lifestyle factors are, are correlated with male fertility and can see how those directly correlate with sperm health. And so having men be a part of the conversation around female fertility, having men understand their own uh, sperm health is super important as well. Perfect. And we'll we'll do some research and leave some articles in the show notes about male fertility. That way people can be more educated on that. But for now, I think modern fertility is an incredible resource for women to learn more about their bodies, to learn more about fertility in a really safe space because, you know, it is such a sensitive subject. And I think a lot of women fear having it before they're in, you know, a place where they want to have kids, because then all these questions come. I know, like, when I have a conversation about fertility, people are like, are you trying to have kids? And it's like, not right now. But I simply want to talk about this. And I'm allowed to know more about my body and, and prepare for what I might expect when it comes to having a child. But also, you know, for later in life, like you said, like understanding your body in preparation for menopause, like these are all things that are really, really valuable and information that hopefully we can all have access to one day. I could not have summed it up better myself. I think that that is exactly why we started this company. That is exactly the way that we believe that this conversation needs to happen. We believe that fertility hormone testing should be just as routine as a pap smear. Women should have the option to access this information. We should be talking about our reproductive health as a part of our our overall wellness, and there shouldn't be any stigma associated with it. It's something that's just, it's a part of our bodies. Everybody's different, and we should be able to have that information. We should be able to have those conversations and a really easy, early, and proactive way. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Afton, for coming on the show today, for sharing the story of modern fertility and just helping me feel more aware and empowered when it comes to my body. I'm excited to take the test and I will keep you guys posted once I take it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm excited for you to take the test and and looking forward to your thoughts. Thank you so much. One quick question. If people want to find out more about Modern Fertility, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah. So they can go to modernfertility.com to learn more. Or if you have any questions for any member of our team, you can shoot us a note to hi at modernfertility.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. So there you have it. Huge thanks to Afton for coming on the show today and for discussing what can be kind of a sensitive topic for a lot of people. And hope is that the show and episodes like these can be an opening for some dialogue maybe in your friend group or with your family or whoever it is that you can talk to about this stuff because it is really important and we need to remove a lot of the stigma that has to do with women's health. So that's why I do what I do and I absolutely love it and love being able to have conversations like these. Now let's chat about... 30. And I'll be honest, I have been very excited about my 30th birthday. I think some people fear age and I definitely used to fear my birthday and just getting older. But two things have come up for me in the last few years. One is just how grateful I am to be alive another year. I mean, none of this is certain. None of this is guaranteed. And I think it's really important that you make a point of celebrating your existence here on Earth for another year because you really don't know what next year will bring. So just having that perspective makes me a lot more excited about getting older and about celebrating birthdays. And then at the same time, I think it is such a monumental birthday and I feel 30 in a lot of ways, which is funny because my life doesn't look anything like how I imagined it would look when I was 30. When I was in my early 20s, I was convinced that, you know, I would be married and have a family and live in a house, probably in Toronto. And while I have some of those things, I certainly don't have all of those things. And yet I wouldn't change a thing. I feel like what I'm more proud of and what feels more accurate in this number is the person that I am, not the things that I have. And while I'm certainly far from perfect and I still have a lot of struggles and a lot of things that I'm working on, at the same time, I am really proud of who I've become and my commitment to changing things about myself that maybe I don't love or accepting things that have happened to me and not necessarily viewing them in a negative light but appreciating them for what I've learned from the experiences and I feel like I'm pretty strong and I'm courageous and I'm willing to try new things and when I started this decade I certainly was not like that In my early 20s, I was pretty much afraid of everything and spent most of my life trying to live up to other people's expectations of who I believed myself to be. And one of my biggest lessons from my 20s has been that you don't have to be the person you believe yourself to be. You can be anything you want to be. And I know that sounds so cliche, but I really thought that there was one way to live your life and that that was the acceptable way and that was the right way. And What I've learned from all of these experiences over the last decade is that that definitely isn't true. And yet if the path that you're on and the journey that you're leading is not feeling right and not feeling like you, the only way to change it is to be that change, is 
to make things happen for yourself by just trying new things. And for me, I was afraid to try new things because I thought I would fail. And that failure was the absolute worst thing in the world. And well, I still need to work a lot on my fear around failure. It's something that I know I learn and I grow from and that if something just doesn't feel right in my life or I don't feel like I'm living my authentic truth, the only way to figure that out and the only real way to move forward or forge a new path is to try these new things and to be okay with failing. And It's scary at times and I'm certainly not perfect and I definitely have days where I have a lot of anxiety and depression starts to creep in and my biggest struggle in life is kind of finding the balance between pushing myself and also knowing the safety and comforts that I need in order to take those steps forward and I'm working on it and even trips like this are really, really important for me in that experience because while I may be comfortable being alone, I've actually never traveled by myself before. I've always traveled with somebody and, you know, I've traveled for work before, but I'm there kind of for a purpose, whereas the purpose of this week is for me to do me. And, you know, my first thing when I got here was try and schedule all these things and fill all this time. And yet being here, I realize what I need most is to kind of sit back and, experience and just let things happen to me and put myself first and not feel selfish about that and not feel badly about that and to know that I'm just living this thing we call life and I don't have to have it all figured out and I don't have to have a plan and I may not know what the future has to hold for me and that is totally okay. What I find most telling about some of the thoughts that have come up with this birthday is that I remember starting my 20s with so much fear and so much unknown. And I'm ending it with the same amount of unknowns, but a lot less fear and just trust that everything is going to play out the way that it's supposed to so long as I'm willing to show up every single day and do the work. And the work doesn't necessarily need to be hard. It doesn't need to be challenging. It doesn't need to be, you know, what we understand work to be. It just needs to be about newness and being open to newness and trying new things, seeing what you learn from them, accepting them, or letting them go. And so as I move into this next decade, my practice is really around surrendering and around knowing that I can show up as my truest self and letting that unfold and not trying to micromanage anything, but to just trust my gut instincts and that things always work out. And especially as I look back, you know, my mid-20s, I started the Healthy Maven. I guess I was 23. Is that early 20s or mid-20s? I'm not really sure. But, you know, I made this huge change in my life. And at first, it was just simply a passion project and a place where I could express my thoughts and what I was learning and explore wellness and it unfolded in the most incredible way and not in a way I ever expected it would. And I've talked about this before, but I really had no idea that I was starting a business. And here I am with a business that includes a podcast and a YouTube channel and a team and just all of these things that are no better or worse or different. They just are. And I never expected that any of this would happen. And I think that's the biggest thing is that we can prepare all we want and yet we never really know how things will unfold. And will the healthy maven and that's so maven and everything that's kind of come out of all of this continue into the next decade? 
Maybe, likely, but who knows? I just have to trust my gut and make decisions that work for me and my life and my relationships and prioritizing all of that and show up, do the work, and whatever evolves of that will evolve. So I'm excited to see what this next decade has to offer. I'm ready for it. I definitely have moments of fear, and I'm also learning to breathe through those moments and trust that everything will work out so long as you show up. So yeah, those are the thoughts that have come up for me around my 30th birthday. I'm sure many will continue through today and through this week, and I'm excited to jot them all down in my journal and take home these experiences with me. I'm not sharing all that much about it just because this is very much for me and only me, and also there is a digital free policy which I'm kind of obsessed with, and my phone has been away, and I just haven't been engaging very much, and I'm into it. And I'm going to leave it at that. So if you guys want to continue the conversation that came up here on today's show, or perhaps you have some thoughts around a big birthday or just some thoughts in general, you can leave them in the THM Tribe, which is just facebook.com slash groups slash THM Tribe. I'd love if you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast player you use and feel free to leave a little review on the show. It would be an awesome birthday gift to wake up to a ton of reviews. So I'd love to hear from you. They're simply just a way that people can learn more about the show. I can get great feedback there. So would love if you left something there and would be very, very grateful for your support. And coming up next week on the show, I am chatting with Elizabeth Giannuzzi from Siren Snacks. And I'm obsessed with Siren Snacks. They're basically my favorite snack on the planet. And one of the few that Kurt and I can agree on, although that is kind of annoying because he eats them when I wish he didn't eat them. But that's okay. We're going to be chatting about a lot of things, including her diagnosis of an autoimmune disorder, how she's chosen to care for her body, including eating a plant-based diet, as well as why she decided to found Siren Snacks and all about what goes into creating a food startup or a food business because I know there are tons of people who are wanting to get into this space and I think it's important we have really candid conversations around what it takes. Not that that should stop you, but the more you know is always a good thing. So excited about that conversation. Definitely stay tuned for that next week and potentially a very big announcement. So hang tight. I think you're going to be intrigued by this one. And with that, I am going to go relax and read and journal and enjoy the rest of my day. Have a great one, guys. Bye.